You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. Well, welcome back to another episode of the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. It's Andy back here with Tim. Hi, everyone. Hi, Tim. And we are continuing our Christianity Explored series as we journey through uh, the book of Mark in the Bible, one of the biographies of Jesus, one of the eyewitness accounts of his life, uh, as well as his death. And what are we talking about today, Tim? His resurrection. His resurrection. Yeah. So, as a bit of a recap for uh, people from the past two weeks, week one, we looked at the authority of Jesus. Yeah. Basically, a look at Jesus' life, but he was that he wasn't just an ordinary person, but demonstrated his authority over sickness, over evil, um, even able to forgive sin. So claiming the authority of God himself, that's what we looked at. Yeah. And then week two, uh, we looked at the cross, the symbol, the logo of Christianity across the globe uh, and how that, uh, you know, why is that important? What, um, yeah, what on earth has or in heaven, has uh, has compelled Christians to take up this barbaric murder device as as a symbol of hope. Yeah, and that's right. And uh, despite the uh, pain and suffering that Jesus went through on the cross, Christians celebrate the cross because of what it achieves, namely that Jesus forgives our sin by taking our wrongdoing onto himself. And as we talked about, the cross is the way that a doorway is open for us to be in a relationship mm. with God. Yep. So, yeah, that's worth celebrating. Absolutely <laughs> it is. Yeah, so as a reminder, if you haven't heard those episodes, strongly recommend you go back and listen to them in full and um, and catch up before we continue on to week three, as we already said, uh, looking at the resurrection, the fact that Jesus, uh, well, he, he didn't stay dead. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is where it gets... Uh, Christianity gets tricky, let's be honest. Yeah. I don't think people um, have too much of a problem with the death of Jesus, that that happened. Sure. Uh, Everyone dies, right? Absolutely. And people don't um, necessarily have too much of a problem with Christians interpreting that this was achieving something, that um, we say that this was achieving something for us, dealing with sin. That sort of sounds, yeah, okay, maybe I I can deal with that. But when we start talking about the fact that Jesus didn't, stayed dead but came back to life, yeah, we're getting into some weird territory there. Yeah. Has, has Christianity jumped the shark yeah. at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Do we worship a zombie? Yeah. What does it, what does it mean? And, and we all know, don't we, that dead people stay dead. So yeah. are Christians uh, naive, gullible mm. in claiming that Jesus came back to life with these early accounts um, you know, because back in those days, maybe people were more gullible, didn't understand things in a scientific manner like we do now. Um, yeah. Can we really believe that Jesus came back to life in this mm. day and age? Yeah. So, uh, that's where we're, that's where we're going. That's the territory yeah. we're, we're heading into today, Andy. Great. So, uh, as we have been doing through this series, we're reading, as I said earlier, from the book of Mark. It's a book in the Bible, which you can get a free copy online at bible.com. If you're on your phone, go to bible.com slash app. You can download an app version, or you can just read it on your computer. Uh, or if you don't have a physical copy, if you'd like one, please reach out to us. We'd love to get one in your hands if you're nearby, and um, you can follow us along that way. 
We are using the NIV translation, the new international version. Uh, there are lots of different translations, uh, just different paraphrasing of the, the same content. Um, but uh, yeah, NIV is the one we're using. So make sure you use that one if you're getting it online. So where are we going first, Tim? Well, uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, just a few verses there. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. Um, if you want to read that for us, Andy. Great. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later... He will rise. Yeah, so uh, this is picking up a little bit on what we spoke about uh, last week, Andy, where once people work out that Jesus is this Messiah, this king who is going to be coming, he starts talking about what his mission will be. And this is the third time that he's, I guess, basically predicted what's going to happen to him, that he'll be... uh, condemned to death, he'll suffer, he'll die, as we spoke about last week, but that three days later he will rise. And in all three instances where he makes these predictions, they, it always ends with those words, that three days later he will rise. So Jesus did predict, following his death, that he would come back to life. I think it's fair to say, though, that his followers didn't get it, yeah, um, that's pretty common, though. It's a pretty big yeah. call to make. <laughs> yeah. And it went against, I guess, the expectations that they had at that time. That, um, I mean, we, we, we talk about the fact that in our day and age, we can't believe that people came back from, uh, you know, that someone could come back from death. But, you know, it wasn't that different in that time either. In fact, in some ways, they had more experience with death than we do. Like, they, um, it wasn't hidden away like now you know you could go through a lot of life and not see dead bodies Mm. Uh, well yeah diseases were much more common medicine obviously barely really existed um you know there's there's lots of accounts of um you know skin diseases like leprosy being prevalent in jesus's time and and those people being well outcast but then yeah them them just just dying like that it's part of life really and it would have been much more sort of within the family home yeah uh, there were no funeral directors no. who would come and whip the body away so you didn't have to see it yeah uh, if you had a family member who died you as the family would deal with it so they kind of got death and that when people died they stayed dead they weren't stupid no um, we sometimes sort of have this superior view of the world that we understand and people in past history didn't get it in in some ways they probably got that death was final a bit better than us mm. even so to, for Jesus to say that he was going to rise, I don't think they quite understood um, what he was talking about, even though he kept predicting and saying that it would happen. Mm. Uh, and again, let's jump ahead to the actual bit in Mark where uh, Jesus' resurrection is spoken about. So this is the final chapter, and it's a short one, Mark 16, 1-8. Tiny little bit of background, Andy, just before this as yeah. to what's happened in the previous chapter. Obviously, Jesus has died. We we read that. But then Jesus is buried. He was put in a, a tomb, a bit like a cave, I guess. It was cut into a rock. 
and a huge stone, a huge heavy stone. They used to roll those in front of the entrance to the tomb to seal it off. Um, and some of the women who had followed Jesus around were his followers and his friends saw the body going into the tomb. So um, that's kind of important for what we'll talk about after we've read it, but that's just the background if you want to read Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salom bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. Yeah, so uh, that's it, and uh, and Mark ends uh, at that particular point. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But, um, yeah, the basic facts are... Uh, after the Sabbath day, which was the Jewish day of rest, uh, where you weren't allowed to do any work, so they couldn't go and do this job of um, putting the spices on Jesus' uh, body on that Sabbath day. They had to wait till it was finished. And so their first opportunity, which was basically Sunday, early Sunday morning, um, these women went out to, I guess, show their love and care uh, for Jesus. They're expecting to find a dead body. Right? So there's no expectation, belief that Jesus isn't going to be there. Yeah, They're expecting a dead body wrapped in burial clothes and they're going to put some spices there. Um, and that's not what they find. Yeah. Uh, two it, key things. Sorry, Andy. Well, you can see uh, even from their conversation as they're leading up, they're, they're talking about the practicalities of yep. there's, there's a giant stone in front of this tomb Someone will have to open it, um, and I think it says earlier, or in, maybe it's in another gospel, that, that there's a centurion standing guard. Yeah, they had the Romans had put guards in place because of Jesus' reputation, and there was because he had predicted that he would rise. Uh, some of the authorities were like, oh, "We better we better cover our bases and make sure that nothing dodgy takes yeah. place here." So set up a guard, uh, put the rock into place, which would have been really heavy to move. Mm. Um, so yep, they go there expecting that they have to deal with these practical problems and that they're going to just anoint a dead body. No other expectation than that. Mm. Uh, what they find instead was an empty tomb. Now, if you're kind of hanging the facts here, this is one of two key facts that it appears that the tomb was empty and we have to deal with that. Um, it's really hard to escape this fact. Um, the women who went out on the Sunday morning had already been to the tomb and seen Jesus buried there. Sometimes people, they, they fly all these other theories. Maybe they had the wrong tomb. Yeah. Uh, well, 
they'd already seen it. So um, unless you're saying, well, they're just stupid or confused, you know, that's a bit of a long shot. But the other thing, the reason I say that this is a bit of a fact that you've got to deal with is the fact that Jesus' followers started saying, Jesus is alive, he's come back to life. Everyone created a real problem for the authorities at the time. So if there still was a body in the tomb, the first thing that they would have done surely was produce that dead body yeah. and say, you guys are crazy, here's the body. Yeah. So it's hard to see how Christianity would have got past the first week of its existence if there was a body still in the tomb when yeah. people were claiming that Jesus Well, yeah, surely the Romans life. would have just claimed fake news yep. and, and done their fact-checking and, and shown the body. Like, that's just, that's just good sense. Like, it was in the interest of yeah. the Roman authorities. It was interest of the Jewish religious authorities to demonstrate that Jesus was dead. They didn't want this movement to continue no. who had followed him. Jesus had been executed to put an end to it. Yeah. And so... Um, whatever explanation you come up with, you've got to face squarely the fact that the tomb was empty. Mm. So that's kind of the first uh, key thing that's uh, recorded in all of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, that the tomb was empty. The second thing uh, that is kind of the fact that we need to deal with is that Jesus appeared to people. Now, that's only alluded to in Mark, to be fair. Uh, verse 7, mm. tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And we don't actually have those appearances where people appear to him. Now, one of the things about Mark, which is what we've been going through the shortest, it, it ends very abruptly. It does, yeah kind of ends at verse 8. And if you're reading along in your Bible, you'll see that there is a bit more in italics, or it might not be italics in your Bible, but it's headed by saying the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have the verses that follow. So the oldest and most reliable manuscripts just end in verse verse 8. Right. Um, my theory is that some of the end of this book very early on got lost. There was probably more to it, but we don't have it. Uh, and some person who was copying the ancient manuscripts thought it can't finish there and added their own ending to that mm. um now christians aren't sometimes when you you know things like the da vinci code and things like that there's it's all like the church and christianity has some sort of a conspiracy going on where you're trying to hide <laughs> the facts um whenever there's any doubt about you know wording in the bible it's always, it's always recorded, um, you know, in the footnotes or there's a comment there saying, you know, s some manuscripts from the early days don't have this bit. Um, so you can always sort of test it and check out it. And uh, Mark is a bit like that where it just sort of ends abruptly. There was probably more, but it's been, been lost. Uh, but there's no attempt to sort of hide that or fudge the ending. Um, and in the other accounts of Jesus, like the other Gospels, uh, we do see these appearances of Jesus. There's probably about oh, about 10 appearances recorded. Uh, so Jesus appears to Mary, who's spoken about here, to Peter, to 11 uh, of Jesus' followers together on multiple occasions. There's an instance of Thomas, one of Jesus' followers. He wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus first appeared. And, of course, he's he's dubious about someone coming back from the dead, and he says, unless I actually stick my fingers in the nail holes in his hands, 
and feel his side where the spear stabbed him, forget it. I'm not going to believe. Um, and he's able to do that. Jesus appears to him. So the, the claim at least that you would need to deal with if you're um, thinking through Jesus and whether this could possibly have happened is that as well as the empty tomb, there was the claim by a number of people that they saw Jesus, they ate with Jesus, they touched Jesus. Uh, it was large groups of people. There's one recording where it was saying Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. Uh, and Paul, who's writing it, says, most of whom are still alive. Mm. The implication being... You can go and ask them. Go and ask them. Yeah. So they're eyewitnesses to the facts that Jesus had come back to life. Um, again, I, I do want to just address the sort of feeling of skepticism. It, it sounds crazy for Christians to say this. Um, and I just want to be clear that Christians believe that when people die, they stay dead. Yeah. That death is the end and that when people die, they stay dead. We strongly believe that. That's what happens scientifically. That's what happens in our own experience. Dead people stay dead. But Jesus came back to life. This is something supernatural, unusual, uh, once in the history of the world type event, uh, what happens to Jesus as he breaks the power of death and comes back to life. So this claim we don't take lightly, but we it is absolutely central to the existence of Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. It just it literally would be meaningless if he stayed dead. That everything we're doing, every church that exists today. That calls, you know, that follows the the ways of Jesus, that um, believes in the Bible. If Jesus was dead still, then all of that is is just a waste of everyone's time. Absolutely, yeah. It's the thing that uh, if people say to me, "What would stop you being a follower of Jesus? What would stop you being a Christian, Tim?" Uh, I say, if Jesus' body was found in a tomb, um, it was demonstrably Jesus. All this time he was actually dead and buried, I'd walk away. And it comes back to, again, what we said the first week. We were talking about the authority of Jesus, that he wasn't just an ordinary person. And his resurrection demonstrates his ultimate authority. The fact that he is divine, he's God himself who's come uh, in uh, a human body to live amongst us, to deal with our sin and to deal with death as well. So it's central, absolutely central, that Jesus did come back from the dead uh, to Christian faith. Uh, you can't do without it. And if you are, I mean, from a historical perspective, when you're trying to look at the history of the world and how is it that we have a thing called Christianity, how did it, how did it start? It's hard to get away from um, explaining it if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Um, Certainly all of his followers who claimed that they saw him, a lot of them were actually put to death for that claim. A lot of them were martyred, I guess, or um, killed because they went around saying, Jesus is alive. And they were threatened, you know, take that back or we'll kill you. And all of them, to a person, stuck to their guns 
and said, no, it's true, kill us if you like, but we're saying that Jesus came back from the dead, which is unusual. Usually, you know, when threatened with that sort of um, death and um, violence, Mm. at least one of them, one of them you would think, um, but there's no evidence that any one of them, if they made up the story between them, surely one of them would have uh, given it given it up uh, when faced with those sorts of death threats. Yeah. But they maintained it till their dying breath. Yeah. Mm. Um, so all of that's really dealing a bit with the facts. Uh, but what does it what does it mean? Uh, how significant? We, we've said it's central to Christianity, but you know what do we mean by that? Um, we're going to have to jump out of Mark. We've got to the end of Mark. Mm. Um, but one other passage which I think helps us is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So this is a letter. There's a number of letters in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament as it's called. Uh, and this was a letter written by Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, to the church at Corinth. Do you know, Andy, this is this is actually the earliest, um, like, chronologically and historically, this is the earliest evidence or record of Jesus' resurrection. So Paul was probably writing this letter to Corinth in the 50s, right? Not the 1950s. (laughs) We're talking in the 050s. 050s. So not that long after the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Jesus would have been killed in the 30s sometime. So... um, you know, 20 years after the event, he's writing this mm. and he's recording the appearances who Jesus appeared to, including that 500 people who are still alive, some of whom are still alive. Um, but he also gives a bit of an explanation for what's going on. So this is probably written earlier than any of the biographies, which were written right. later. Um, and so this is historically the earliest um, record we have where the events are described, the appearances are described and the meaning is described. Yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, so I'm just going to get you to read from verse 12 to 23, 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, We are, of all people, most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Great. So I guess that emphasizes some of the things we've been talking about, doesn't it? That even back near the time of uh, the claim of Jesus' resurrection, people had a lot of difficulty believing that people come back from the dead. 
And so Paul's having to write to counter that and saying, well, this is this is central. We're, we're preaching that Christ did rise from the dead, as hard as that is to get our heads around. Mm. Um, and he's saying that, as we said, it's central to Christian faith. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile. Like, it's a waste of time. There is no Christianity. Yeah. Um, sin hasn't been dealt with. The sorts of things we were talking about last week about Jesus' death on the cross to deal with our sin. If Jesus had have stayed dead, then sin hasn't been dealt with because what good is sort of a dead saviour? He can't do anything. Sin has defeated him. He hasn't defeated sin. And similarly, death has had the final word. Death is stronger than Jesus. Whereas Christians claim, well, actually Jesus defeats death. And it speaks here about the hope that uh, Christian people have, that in the same way that Jesus rose from the dead, so that is our hope as well, that death isn't the end for us. If we trust in Jesus, we belong to him, is the words of verse 23, then just as he was raised from the dead, so we will be as well. Yeah, and he... um. You can tell how important this is to Paul, who's writing this, because he he sort of he just goes on about it, doesn't he? Like he says, um, you know, if Christ wasn't raised, then we're all dead and and everything's pointless. And then he just repeats himself a couple of times because he's just trying to hammer that point home. He's trying to make it abundantly clear to the people he's writing to um, that, yeah, if if this one fact is found to be false, that Christ didn't rise from the dead. Forget it, uh, and he just yeah he has to reiterate that because it's just so so important. Absolutely. So the resurrection is a way of God pointing the finger at this man Jesus and saying this is this is the guy this is the one that you need to look to. He is the one with ultimate authority. He is the one that will judge us, judge our lives and what we've done. He's the the ruler or the Lord of the whole universe and. The evidence for that is that he has risen from the dead. His resurrection is the basis of hope that death isn't the end for us either. Um, I mean, there's lots of views out there as to what happens after death. Um, You know, that uh, we somehow live on, but there's no basis for believing that um, apart from Jesus, really. Like, we live in a sort of a post christian society we've got sort of christian background and we have this vague belief in heaven and that you sort of go to a better place where you die but where does that come from there's no scientific evidence for that there's no reason that there should be something beyond death Uh, and actually you know the dead dead people stay dead (laughs) that's been our experience isn't it but christians believe no there is a life beyond death but it only comes because of jesus jesus defeated death in and of himself that's a historical fact and event that you can look at the evidence for here and that he holds out hope for us as well that death won't be the end for us as well that jesus offers something beyond death that he will raise us as he himself was raised Mm. um yeah there's more to be unpacked about what it means to belong to jesus i think and what it means to follow him and we want to do that in future episodes but Uh, to say that the only basis really for an ongoing and living relationship with God through Jesus comes about because Jesus is alive to offer that, that he didn't stay dead and he's more powerful than the sin, the wrongdoing that we have in our lives. He's more powerful than death, which uh, kills relationships Mm -hmm. that uh, 
causes us grief and pain, uh, that there is actually some hope uh, in the person of Jesus for a life that goes beyond that. Yeah, yeah. Um, can we just uh, just briefly touch on that last little passage of the of the verse we just um, read? Uh, in verse twenty one onwards, it says, "For uh, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man." Um, do you, can we just maybe a little, just really quickly unpack that for for what that's referring to? Yeah. So the next verse uh, twenty two helps us as well. Mm. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So that sense that we share a common humanity, I guess. Uh, Adam in the biblical story was the the first. Uh, human being. So this is harking back to goes back to the, the Garden of Eden. Yeah, the book yep. of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and that uh, Adam and Eve is the first humans. And there's a sense in which we all share a common humanity. We're all humans, and as humans, uh, we die like Adam died. Genesis talks about Adam and Eve's rejection of God and doing things their own way, the sin that we've talked about in previous podcast episodes. And uh, that that results in separation from God and the good life that he offers and, and death comes as a result of it. Um, so all of us face death because we're all sharing a common humanity from Adam, but Jesus offers a new type of life, a new humanity um, for those who belong to him. Um, so the language here sort of says, uh, in Christ all... Um, uh, where is it? Verse 22. Verse... So in Christ, all will be made alive. Yeah, so is that just, you know, universally? It doesn't matter how you respond to Jesus. Because he's come back to life, hey, that's that's for all of us. Um, well, no, because it's explained that it's those who belong to him, which kind of clarifies that the, the all is all who belong to Jesus, that all there is a response that's needed. Christ, yeah. yeah, there is a response to Jesus. It doesn't just sort of come automatically without us uh, putting our trust in him. We have to belong to him. We have to have a relationship with him. Uh, that's vital. And it's only then that the benefits of what Christ has done through his death and resurrection come to us. Yeah, We'll unpack that a lot more. That's really uh, kind of next week's conversation. Spoiler alert. Um, Spoiler alert, getting into that. What does it mean? How, you might be asking yourself the question, how can I belong to Jesus or what does that actually look like? Um, How do these benefits that he's won come to me? We'll Mm -hmm. talk a bit about that next week. So we asked you to do some homework last week. Uh, Read Mark 6 through 10. And uh, we've we've got some questions based around some of those verses in there. So um, Yeah, there was a question from, um, was it Mark 6, verse 3? Someone asked a question about that. Oh, yeah. 6, verse 3 says, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus had siblings? Yeah, so that, that was the question. Does, you know, does Jesus have brothers and sisters? Um, well, the answer is yes. The Bible um, talks about brothers and sisters. Um, so well, Jesus himself was uh, not conceived in the normal human manner. No. Christians believe that Mary was a virgin. Uh, she hadn't had sex. She and Joseph were engaged to one another, were married, but that Jesus was a miraculous birth. 
Um, but presumably, after Jesus was born, uh, they lived as a normal married couple. They had sexual relationships and they had other children. Um, one of Jesus' brothers, James, became one of his followers later on and a leader in the early church. Um, yeah, so that seems to be the straightforward way of reading the Bible. Yeah, yeah. that's one of the really interesting things uh, that I take from that. That I, if if Jesus, we talk, spoke about a quote last week or the week before from C.S. Lewis that Jesus was either a liar, a maniac, or the Messiah, the Christ. Um, and I feel like if his own brother, his younger brother, was one of his followers, that's got to rule out that he was a liar. Like, yeah. like I, I don't know what your relationship with your siblings are like, but, you know, I, I would not let my siblings get to the point of, of claiming to be the Messiah without calling them out on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just shows that even within their family, they had that absolute trust and faith that, that this is true. This was... Jesus is who he says he is. Yep. And it, look, it wasn't necessarily straightforward. When you read through the biographies of Jesus, at times his family's had doubts about him. Um, what's he What's he doing here? They were worried for him. It's not clear mm. uh, that they were full on um, committed to the fact that he's definitely the son of God. But over time, as they see him, they watch him, there'd be no hiding it from your own family. No. Uh, they come to that point of believing that he was more than just their brother and a and an ordinary human being, and they um, followed him, yeah. and they and James was a leader in the church, um, committed to the the way of Jesus, following Jesus. Yep. And we had another question that came in. Uh, this one was from chapter nine. Okay. Yep. This gets uh, pretty brutal, actually. Righto. Okay. So uh, we're in chapter nine, verse uh, around verse forty-two. Yeah, so I'll just read it. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better to for it is better for it is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. For it is better to you, for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Heck. Like, we're going to have a fire sale on body parts around here because everyone should just cut off their hands and pull out their eyes if they're causing them to sin. Absolutely. Um, well, you see, Jesus uh, uh, did not intend that we should literally pull our eyeballs out and cut our hands out. Um, well, some of the ways that Jesus often spoke is what's called hyperbole, where you put things in, a, in, a, in an extreme way to demonstrate how serious it is. And what, what Jesus is saying is that sin matters doing the wrong thing, and he, and he particularly says here, uh, causing one of these little ones, these little children, these little followers of me, doing something that would cause them harm or to give up following Jesus, then God takes that really very seriously, and you should take every step that you can to avoid sin and harm to other people. Um so while you don't literally get a sore out and take your hand off or pluck your eyeball out, he's saying, think 
drastically about your behavior and take concrete and sacrificial steps to uh, get rid of things if they're blocking you from being in a relationship with God or living the way that God wants you to live. Mm. Um, I mean, a modern equivalent, which uh, is it still sounds pretty drastic, is you know if uh, your phone <laughs> is causing you. I know phones pretty much are a body part yeah, these days, yeah, but you know if if people, for example, are, are struggling with you know, internet pornography on their phone, Jesus is saying, well, it'd be better to actually have no phone rather than for that to be the barrier that's causing you to sin or um, preventing a relationship with me. So you could make these sorts of choices to change your behavior uh, and be radical about it because there's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus and living his way. That's the way to true for true joy to come. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be so healthy just to do that from time to time. Anyway, like I, I find disconnecting from, from social media, from Facebook or Instagram, I find that very you know, therapeutic for my relationship with God. And, um, you know, it's not cutting off my own arm, but it's... Uh, it pretty much is it, for you, yeah. It, yeah well, yeah, I'm, I'm the communications guy. I, I need social media to, to do my job and, yep. and whatever. And so, you know, that can be quite tough sometimes. But it, what it does is forces me to keep um, work at work and, and life um, separate from that. And to when I when I am taking those breaks, whenever I would be checking my phone, you know, I'm doing something that's going to be more beneficial to my relationship with God. I might read the Bible, or I might pray, or um, you know, just just meditate, and you know, that might be doing while I'm doing something else, you know, washing the dishes or something productive, rather than the unproductiveness of being on Facebook. Absolutely, and it comes back to the personal challenge. Uh, throughout this uh, podcast, we're talking about. Jesus and how amazing Jesus is. We want to be pointing to him. And the challenge is, if there's a barrier from you knowing Jesus and being in a relationship with with him, um, get rid of it. There is nothing better than a relationship with Jesus. There is no one greater than Jesus. So if there's something stopping that, uh, we'd encourage you you know, to to move that out of the way so that you can move to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Hey, probably a great time to plug our Facebook and Instagram pages. <laughs> uh, if you don't struggle with it uh, getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus, we hope that it actually try and help uh, facilitate that. We try and share stuff that's encouraging and um, getting uh, getting to the point of, of Christianity and, and, you know, serving as a reminder. So, yeah, if, you, if you're not addicted to social media and can – do it in healthy ways. We'd love you to check out St. John's DC on Facebook and Instagram and give us a follow. We've got some more homework for him, Tim. Well, there's the last part of Mark to read through. Just one more part of Mark. So that's from uh, chapter 11 through to chapter 16. That'll take you right through to the the end of Mark and you will have completed that whole book. Fantastic. Um, yeah, so next week, um, having covered all of Mark and the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection, we're going to start moving to thinking about what does it look like to follow Jesus? How can you become his follower? So we're going to, we're going to have a go at that one next week. Fantastic. We hope that you can join us then. And don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app, whether that's iTunes or Google Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify as well or uh, just listen on our website. If you're listening on iTunes, it would be great if you could leave us a review. Uh, that really helps us. And why not send this podcast to a friend? If you've got friends who are asking questions about Christianity, we really hope this podcast would be a great resource to uh, help people just discover the person of Jesus and to uh, find out what it means to to be his follower and to know him 
So again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. If you'd like to support the work of this podcast, you can head to stjohnsdc.info and click the giving tab. You'll be supporting the work of this podcast as well as our church and the mission partners that we support. You can find out more about those partners at stjohnsdc.org.au slash mission.